0: Amen. How many of you are thankful that He is the same God? Same God that parted the Red Sea. Hey, I need to be reminded of that uh, so very often. I need to be reminded constantly that He's the same God because sometimes my circumstances will trick me. Can anybody agree with that tonight? Sometimes my circumstances will tell me maybe this time I'm going to be defeated. Uh, Maybe this time the situation's too big. Or maybe God's plate's overloaded. Bump me down just a little bit. If you have your Bibles tonight, I want to encourage you to join me in the gospel according to John, and I want you to find with me in chapter number 13. Chapter number 13. Can we smile together one time? Y'all were singing out like that. I thought, when I get up there, they're going to be smiling, and then you didn't. You just sort of quit smiling. So flash one every once in a while, and I'm going to say I'm so thankful our youth are with us in here tonight, and so we give the Lord a hand clap of praise, don't we, for our awesome youth ministry, and man, they are. You ever get an opportunity, you all to talk to some of these guys and gals. They will bless your heart. Uh, not only them, but their leaders and Brian and Taylor and all the ones who commit such time to invest in them. Uh, it's amazing to see what God is doing in the midst of our youth and our children. And I'm so thankful for that. You know, someone asked me one time, hey, a pastor asked me, he said, what are, you, what are your thoughts on your children's ministry, youth ministry? I said, well, let me just tell you this as a daddy and a granddaddy. I want my kids to be there. And if I want my kids to be there, that, that I should not have had to say anything else. Amen? And so I'm so thankful for all of you who serve so wonderfully. Okay? John chapter 13, beginning in verse number 1. Verse number 1. How many of you, as Brian said, have had a long day? Any of you? Any of you need, a little, need to get in bed early? Tonight? How many of you, oh, let me ask this question. How many of you need to get in bed early tonight? Oh, wow. So y'all want me to hurry up. So we need to get started, right? I like, Brandon's on my team. He's over there tonight. No hurry. let slow down and let's do this thing, all right? Hey, if you have your phone, oh yes, first of all, do you have an outline? If you did not get a copy of our outline for tonight's message, if you hold your hand up, they'll make sure you get one, okay? Just hold it up long enough for them to see you. Got some down front, all the way down front, right down here, all the way on this, this side over here, Miss, Miss Terry over here on this side, okay? And uh, hold your hand up so they can see that. They'll make sure you get those. If you have your phone with you, real quickly, just in order of business as we would like to do, and I say business, business of the kingdom, uh, you can be a missionary from your chair, very simply. You don't have to get on an airplane. You don't have to buy a ticket. Uh, you don't have to uh, go do some fundraisers from your chair tonight right where you're seated you could go on social media and something that people say oh that's evil it's neutral it depends on what you use it for and some of us in here have used it for well let's just say it'd be good for us tonight to use it for the glory of God amen, amen. all right somebody like at me. did he see my post today no I didn't I hadn't, I hadn't even had an opportunity to be on Facebook at all today but uh, if you will say a quick prayer and say something like this uh, Lord would you put this message in front of who needs to see it. There's somebody in your circle of influence, a friend of a friend. And when you share that, some, we're going to trust God to put it in front of who needs to see it. So be a, would you honor God today by being a missionary from your chair and using social media, uh, whether that be Instagram or wherever, and share tonight's message right now. Go to our Facebook page. Turn the volume off, if you will, on your phone on the side, slide it off. Now, if you don't, it's going to be real awkward when that thing goes off in a minute. You think they were going to look at you before huh you wouldn't like how they look at you when you didn't cut it off when i brought it to your attention okay so then on the other there's an arrow if you'll turn the volume down on the side of that thing as well and tonight we're going to dive into john chapter number 13, all right? At the end of our message, our time together tonight, we'll have a family meeting where we'll just simply go in to vote. We've been praying, and we're going to vote on what God, I, we believe God has led us in expansion plans. I'm, I'm excited. I really am. I haven't been excited about that in a long time. Uh, and what I, you said, well, you're not excited about growing? It's not that. I just mean, I, we just prayed a lot, and we searched a lot. We didn't know which way to go. There's a lot of options. And once we finally prayed and, and went through that, I'm telling you, I got, I got excited about it. So, uh, you be in prayer about that even as we continue tonight. John chapter number 13. The title of the message is The Way on Display. The Way on Display. And so tonight we're going to look at, we sing a song oftentimes about the kingdom of God being in reverse, being different, right? And I want to tell you a great example of that. The ki- How many of you know that the way of the kingdom is, is reverse of this, ki- of this kingdom that we live in down here, fallen people in a fallen world, the world system, and it's, it's opposite of the kingdom. For instance, uh, we say if somebody offends us, we ought to retaliate. The kingdom of God says we ought to forgive. Right? I ought to show mercy. And so it's just, when, when, when the, the, kingdom, the world says, somebody asks you to borrow something, charge them interest, or maybe don't let them borrow it. But the kingdom of heaven, uh, the principle of the kingdom is if somebody asks you to borrow it, let them borrow it and don't expect it in return. <laughs> well, I'm telling you, it's in reverse of this system that we're living in. And so uh, tonight, as we think about that, last night, uh, I, uh, as Brian was talking about some of us are tired, I had a couple, a couple hours of sleep last night because God gave me the honor of being at the bedside of one of the greatest spiritual mentors in my life who stepped into the kingdom last night, uh, about 1 o'clock this morning, as I and some of his family were singing, Oh, Praise the Name. And I thought about how many bedsides I've been at over the years when people have stepped into eternity, and the atmosphere in the room of the people, the, the wife, the husband, the mom, the dad, the children. And I want you to know that it was one of the most peace-filled places I've ever been in my whole life. Uh, so I got into bed this morning about 4.30 a.m. and got back up at 7 and went and spoke this morning. It's been a good long day. Got a quick nap today, though. Isn't that something? Got a little nap that some of y'all are mad at me now. Um, but the kingdom is rever- I thought about, you know, most of the time when somebody dies, everybody's crying and Oh, they're tore up and upset. And, and it was the most interesting, I thought about how the kingdom was, well, the kingdom is where the king has dominion. And I, I found it so interesting that a wife of all those years didn't just burst into tears when she was petting his hair and talking to him and saying, I'm gonna see you soon. And just having a converse, and it was the most wonderful experience to be in that room, even though I'm going to miss him and the investments he's made in my life. Uh, I am so very thankful f- that the kingdom of God is in reverse. It's different. It's different than the kingdom down here. You die without Jesus, you be, I'll tell you what y'all do sometimes. You be around a family who really doesn't know, maybe they go to church every once in a while, or their, or their papa or daddy said he got saved, but he don't, has never read his Bible. His grandkids don't even know nothing about his relationship with Jesus. You be in that room when the person dies versus being in where I was last night. It is totally different. I mean, totally different. Why? Because the kingdom is reverse. It's opposite of the ways of the kingdom down here. And he's able to bring peace in the midst of very difficult circumstances. I'm so glad of that. Uh, So tonight, without further ado, I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet with me in honor of reading God's Word. John chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. And we're going to read all the way down. Are you ready? To verse number 17. Verse number 17. All right, as we stand, I'm going to begin to read. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own, who were in the world. I love this last statement after the comma. He loved them, y'all help me, to the end. Woo, isn't that good? He didn't love them halfway. He didn't love them three-quarters of the way. He didn't stop at 90%. Uh, He loved them, somebody help me, he loved them to the end. I want to just pause right there and say, I sure do love Jesus. I sure do love Jesus. Verse 2, and after supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, he rose from supper, Jesus did, and laid aside his garments and took a towel and he girded himself. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said back to Jesus, you shall never wash my feet, never wash my feet. And Jesus answered and said, okay, well, if I do not wash your feet, you have no part with me. And Simon Peter changed his tune, didn't he? And so here's what he said in response to Jesus, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, he who bathed needs only to wash his feet and to com- and be completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew he would betray him. He knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. That's exactly what I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not. All right, one more time. For I say to you assuredly that the servant is not greater than his master. I want you just to ponder on that for just a moment, all right? For I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you most assuredly. I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you oh, do them. Okay, let's pause for a word of prayer. Will you bow with me for just a moment? Father, I thank you from the bottom of my heart that out here in the middle of nowhere on Wednesday night this many people said it's important for us to come and gather as the people of God in accordance with Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25. I thank you that the people in this room did not abandon the gathering tonight. And Lord, I pray that you'd bless each one. And I pray that you bless those who are having to tune in tonight through social media. Those among us who wish they could be here, but because of some unforeseen circumstances or things they have to do, they're not able to be gathered with us tonight. So I pray that you meet with them where they are, God, if they're at the nurse's station or in their patrol car or on the offshore rig, wherever they find themselves, Lord, meet with them in a mighty way. And Lord, as you do that, meet with us. And I thank you that you're not limited in time and space. So as you help me to preach this word, and I pray that you would, I know that you will. Help me to preach this word, God, because I need you. I can't do anything good without you. So help me now to preach, but as you help me to preach, also help me to listen. And not just listen for the sake of passing this next few minutes, but listen for the sake of transformation. Listen for the sake of getting to know your heart better and that your word and your spirit would do a work in me, but also within every person within the sound of my voice. Help us right now, pause for a moment, and contemplate the fact that your spirit and your word are about to do some work on us, and we all need it. And so may we leave transformed by the power of your spirit and your word. And we ask it together in Jesus' mighty name. And the people of God said, amen, amen and amen. Thank you. You may be seated. And I'll have to tell you, you're a little more lively group than the, uh, than the senior high students at Central Highs early this morning. Uh, and so, uh, but not a little bit. Some of y'all are going to have to come on with it, right, and, and engage with me tonight. And so, as we rewind back to the beginning, let me share with you a main idea from this Last Supper scene of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now some of you are thinking, you know what? I assumed that you were going to preach from today's reading, right? And you remember, if you're following through with the Holy Week Hope devotional that we've, that we've set aside to do together as a group, uh, today there wasn't a whole lot. There's some, uh, uh, there's, it's not necessarily confirmation, but there's um, probably Jesus was anointed on this day. But we know for certain that on this day, Judas was, on this particular day, uh, arranging to sell Jesus for a little bit of silver, right? We, we understand that the, the, the same price that you would pay for a, a common servant in that particular day and time. And that's what he's, so he's arranging that on this particular day of Holy Week so long ago. And so as we think about that, it's gonna play into tonight's scenario. Now this is gonna help you for tomorrow's study, right? Because when the Passover uh, a lamb and the, the celebration, all that's tomorrow, but you'll already be a little ahead of the game, okay? So the main idea of this passage is following Jesus means loving others. Just write that down, if you will. Following Jesus means loving others. I had a man tell me one time, following Jesus means I'm quoting Scripture and I'm memorizing Scripture. And I said, no, 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 that's all part of what transforms your life. Following Jesus means loving God, but that's necessarily tonight's message, but also it means loving others, means loving people. Did you know that uh, one of the greatest demonstrations that God sent Jesus Christ the Son to redeem mankind is love? Jesus said that they will know you, they'll be able to look at your life and know that you belong to the kingdom of God by your love for one another. Uh, He said a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. And we know how he loved us, my goodness, uh, unbelievably well how Jesus loved us perfectly. So tonight, simply following Jesus means loving others. Let's dive into this a little bit at a time, okay? Number one, if you're writing down some notes, and I encourage you to do that. Maybe use your phone if you didn't bring anything. Uh, Maybe you find a piece of paper there that you can jot down these scripture verses, most importantly, all right? Number one, write this down. Love never fails. Love never fails. Uh, Do you remember where that has been mentioned in the New Testament? Anybody remember what chapter and what, what book of the Bible that that's mentioned in the New Testament? First Corinthians chapter... 13, and it is where love is described, what the love of God is looks like, agape love. And, and one of the things he says about uh, in, in there, Paul says to the church at Corinth, is love never fails. It never fails, all right? So let's, let's dive into this in verse number one, see where I got this. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew, I want you to think about that for just a minute, okay? He knew that his hour had come. And that he should depart from this world to the Father. Now, what is that all talking about? How is Jesus, what vehicle is Jesus going to ride out of this world into the kingdom of heaven? Does anybody know? It's called the cross right? And that is the vehicle with which uh, Jesus is going to die. He's going to give his life. He's going to leave this world and go to the next. So uh, imagine what John is saying here. Uh, Jesus, knowing it was never a surprise to him. It was always the plan of God. He knew that what he had coming next was going to be some very difficult hours. That's putting it mildly, isn't it? Anybody still out there? Uh, Let me ask a question this way, maybe. Do you feel like what Jesus went through was easy Heavens know what happens next from here on out is very, very difficult to say the least. Really, honestly, there's not a lot of human words that we can find that we would use to describe what Jesus went through in these next hours from this moment forward. But it says as they're gathered together to have this Passover meal together, and Jesus is going to turn this Passover meal uh, upside down and show them that really it's about him. It isn't about the Passover of the Old Testament. The Passover of the Old Testament was always pointing toward The Passover lamb, Jesus, in the New Testament. Matter of fact, the blood of a lamb was not going to be physically applied to a doorpost, but the blood of Jesus Christ, the lamb of God, was going to be able to be applied to the heart of whosoever would call on him, and the judgment of God would pass over that soul for all eternity. Isn't that good news? That's why uh, we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So look at verse number one. He knows that his hour had come, what hour? The hour of torture, the hour of death, the hour of pain, the hour of agony. And he knew that he should depart from this world to the Father. And then explains who he is and and what he had done. Having loved his own, who were, by the way, still in the world. Uh, They still had some difficult challenges, How many of you agree with me when I say there are some difficulties in living the Christian life out in the everyday world? Uh, Would you agree with me that it's a little easier in here for the little bit of time that we're together with like-minded people? Well, sort of. Y'all didn't get that one, did you? Yeah. Like-minded people and and most of the time pleasant, most of the time admitting that we all are in need of change, most of the time, not always, we're we're not perfect, but most of the time celebrating the fact that Jesus has has saved us, those of us who are, most of the time saying, because I'm saved, I want to serve, most of the time. Um, and so, but when we leave out of these doors, it, my goodness, it becomes, I mean, unbelievably difficult, doesn't it, to go to your job and live it out, and to go into your class and live it out, and, and with all the pressures around you and how people are antagonistic against the gospel. So, he, he said they were still in the world, Now to n- n- make them, no, never mind, uh, Jesus didn't come to deliver us from the world, he came to deliver us from the power of sin and the penalty of sin, and so they're still in the world. And by the way, you are also still in the world, but let me just remind you there is a purpose for you still being in the world. Not so that you can live the American dream and make all the money you can make and have the biggest house you can have and retire early and go see all the seashores all over the world, no, no. You are in the world to be an influencer, to to bring people to Jesus, to explain and testify of what Jesus has done for you and for the whole world, and give invitations to people, little small invitations. Come to Jesus. Come come here, let me tell you what he's done for me. Come worship with me. And so we're living this series of of invitations. Isn't it fun? Somebody look at me like, no, I hadn't done that. I wish you knew how fun it is when you stop being afraid. And when you stop living the mundane life of just, you know, talking about football and other the nonsense, and you begin to really live the Christian life, I'm telling you, it is a blast. You never know what people are going to say back to you when you go out there and start talking about Jesus and living with Jesus. I tell you, sometimes I just think to myself, what in the world? Surely you don't believe that. Anyway, uh, we find out it's a fun journey. But listen to what it says. He loved them all the way to the end. So love never, in the blank, you're putting Fails, it never fails. All the way to the finish line, love never fails. What is it that drew Jesus to Jerusalem? Love. What is it that drew Jesus from heaven down to earth? A little out of order there. Love. What is it that drew him, as he's here on the earth, to Jerusalem for that last week? Love. What is it that drew him to that upper room to meet with his disciples? Remember he said, I long to have this meal with you. What, what drew him to that Passover meal? Love. What, what drew him to allow the soldiers to arrest him, the temple guard to arrest him? Do you remember he allowed them to arrest him? Do you remember how it happens? The scripture says that they came looking for him with torches and weapons, and Jesus said, who are you looking for? You remember? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And I love it because he says, I'm he. And they all fall down on the ground. They can't get up. Can't scratch their nose. Can't raise their heads. I love it, man. What a display of authority. But humility. See, he could have killed them all. He could have went back to heaven. But he just was kind of reminding everybody, hey, hey, I'm the one in control here, and I'm laying down my life. Nobody's taking it. I love that, man. He cleared it up up front. Let me lay everybody down real quick with your torches and your, and your weapons. Let me just lay all y'all down face down and just remind you I'm the one who's in control here. And I'm so thankful for that. There are days I need to be reminded that love never fails. He's always in control. And what a peace it brings to my heart to know that. All right, number two, if you will, just walking right on through this thing. So love never fails. All the, he loved Him all the way to the end. Number two, the short-sighted move. Now, I mean, This is more of a scene, if you will, in the account. The short-sighted move. Uh, John chapter 13, verse number two, as a young child, my uncle Tommy loved to play chess. And so he would always, when I was little and all the other, his children and grandkids before he passed away and me and my sisters, he would always try to find out which kids had any interest in it. And he would take time and teach us. And man, I just, I would spend time with him uh, playing chess and always, because y'all know me, I'm sort of a fire out of the gate kind of guy and chess helps you with that. Uh, Because if you have a short-sighted move, you might make about three moves, and all of a sudden you're in checkmate, game over. And many times, I know it's going to surprise you. My style of chess, especially as a young person, was to make three or four quick moves and find myself in checkmate and uh, lose. And I hate to lose. I hated to lose. I still hate to lose. And and so listen to the short-sighted move of the enemy, okay? Here it is. Look with me in verse number two. Y'all still with me? Amen. And supper being ended, they had gone through the, they'd celebrated the Passover meal. They'd gone through that together. And at the end of that, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to, here's the words, betray him. And so the enemy, in his short-sightedness, and I need to remind you that I'm not calling him names, I'm not poking fun at him, I'm just giving you an observation from the Scripture that Satan is not omnipresent, he's not omnipotent, he's not omniscient, he is not God. It is past time for believers to stop assigning to the enemy God-like qualities. He is not a God, and he certainly is not the God. There is no rivalry between God and Satan. Satan is not fighting against God, and somehow there's this who's going to win kind of thing going on that we get into our minds from Hollywood. In fact, he's a defeated foe that as he is being used in this particular scene, it's amazing the short-sighted nature of the enemy when he makes his move. What's his move? He he enters into the heart of Judas. Now, we're going to find out in a minute that, that he's... And by the way, how does the enemy know which ones of us that he can, or how he can attack us? He just watches us. He didn't know all things. He just watches us. The demons, they watch us. You say, what, are demons around me? Yeah, hallelujah. Yes, there are. You better know that. And Jesus said it this way, that, uh, that Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. And that means he's looking at you watching you and saying, "Now nah, I want that one. I, wanna, I want that one. I really want to tempt them. I really want to go after them right there. And, and like in the book of Job, if you, if you let me do this, he, he, they won't praise you. They'll fall. They'll run from you. They'll run to sin. They'll, they'll run the other way. And there's this scene thing that's going on. And what happens in, in verse number uh, th- two, it says, and supper being into the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray Jesus. Here's why it's short-sighted. Had the enemy known, had the enemy known, but he doesn't know, had he known that entering into Judas' heart was going to cause the sacrificial death of Jesus, which was going to make possible for Jesus to get into my heart and your heart and your heart and your heart. I'm telling you something. He'd have backed away and left Judas alone. He would not have made that move, but he is, in fact, short-sighted. He can only see what he can see, and he's not God. And I wish you'd write that somewhere in your notes, in all capital letters. Satan is not God. He's not a God. He's not God-like. You just need to write that somewhere so you can be reminded of that, as you and I oftentimes will say, well, Satan made me do it. And so he's not God. He's not Godlike. And so I want you to understand, though he is powerful, you know, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy, he is not God. Let us then be careful not to carry out the work and the will of the devil. Oh, what did he just say? Let us be careful not to carry out the work and the will of the devil. Now, listen, you need to know this. A believer, a follower of Jesus who has the Holy Spirit living inside him or her cannot be possessed of the devil or a demon. They can be oppressed, which means what? Attacked from the outside. An unbeliever, somebody who does not know Jesus and does not have the Holy Spirit living inside, can be possessed of the devil. Now, don't answer this out loud, but which one is Judas? Don't answer it. Which one is Judas? I'm going to prove it to you before we leave, all right? Because anything else is going to be speculation. So in a minute, we're going to prove the case from the Bible, all right? Judas helps me and you see, listen, that the heart that's inspired by the devil wills what the devil wills. Anybody with me? What does the devil will? Disunity. What does he will? He wills for God not to receive glory. He, he, he wills that people would be at odds with each other. He, he wills that people's lives would be torn down instead of built up. And if we're not careful, listen to me, if we're not careful, we will submit ourselves as an effective instrument in the hand of the enemy by what we say and by what we do and by how we treat people. So be careful not to be an instrument of the devil. Can I just say that to you one more time? What, what is the greatest way that you and I are an instrument of the devil? You ready? It is that little small instrument between your top palate and your bottom jaw. And that thing is your tongue. Now, how do you know that, preacher? Well, James says this about it. It's set on fire, not by gasoline. It's not set on fire by the imagination of man. Uh, James says about the tongue, it is set on fire. Does anybody know by what? By hell. It's set on fire by hell itself. So it is an instrument oftentimes of the devil, talking about somebody, running them down, gossiping, uh, all the things that we do, putting people down instead of building them up. And so we have to be so careful not to be inspired and be used by the devil. Let me say that to you again. The heart that inspires by the devil wills what the devil wills. You ought never to will disunity. You say, well, I didn't will disunity. My question would be, then why would you say what you said? And somebody's looking at me like, how would you know I said what I said? I'm not being specific. I'm being general here. But if the Holy Ghost is speaking to you, then I pray that you'd hear him. And you might give an account, not to me, to him. And so if you didn't want disunity, why'd you say what you said? If you didn't want to discourage somebody, why'd you talk about their outfit? If you didn't want to discourage them, why, why didn't you say something kind to them instead of you, the fact that you think they're a little overweight? And so there's, boy, see how it just sucked all the air out of the room? Y'all breathe with me, all right? We're walking this thing together. Uh, the reality is actions speak louder than words. So I just want to encourage you tonight. Listen, child of God. It's a very sad thing when we submit ourselves as instruments of the devil. It's, it's a very sad thing, so it ought not be the case. All right, let me move on if I can, all right? So again, he's short-sighted. If he'd have known that God's wonderful plan was for his son to be uh, the only acceptable sacrifice, to go to the cross and, and, and to shed his blood, because blood has to be shed for the remission of sin, and blood, the blood of bulls and goats can only cover it, take it away, for, it can't take it away, it only covers it for a season, it had to be done every year. But when Jesus came, the Lamb of God, one time for all time, you're talking about powerful blood. It even cleansed me of my sin. And if you're here tonight, you've been born again, and he's cleansed you of your sin, I want you to raise your hand up high toward heaven. Don't bend that elbow. Put it up like you mean it, right? Straight up in there. And look around you, if you will. That's a whole lot of sin in the room, amen, that has been washed clean. Matter of fact, the scripture says, as white as snow. And driven. And so we understand if the enemy had known that was the plan, he'd have left Judas alone. He'd have probably just encouraged Judas to stay at the table, keep going to church, just go sit in Sunday school, just sit and soak, you know. Uh, matter of fact, God, I mean, the enemy doesn't mind you being religious, not at all. As long as you're not fully submitted to the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, he does not mind you sitting in a church building. Um, but he does not want you fully surrendered to the Lamb of God. Number three. Number three. We got about eight of these, so we got to hurry. Number three, the attitude to follow. Now, now, write this in your notes, the attitude to follow. It's going to be found in verses four and five. The attitude that we should follow. We talked about the title being the way on display. The way what? The way is Jesus. And the way, okay, to understand he's the way, he has some characteristics, some qualities, some some character, some ways of being that ought to be our ways of being. Anybody tracking with me? His ways ought to be our ways. The way he lived, we ought to live. He said, I've given you an example that you should follow. And so tonight, let's look for just a minute at the attitude that we should in fact follow, okay? Verse 4 and 5. Y'all tracking with me? He rose from supper, Jesus did, and he laid aside his garment. Now that means he took out his outer, off his outer garment and he took a towel and he girded himself. And in those moments, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wiped them with the towel with which he was girded. I want you to imagine for a moment the lowest assignment in the household was to wash feet. Can you imagine if uh, that was your job in somebody's home? Hey, man, what, what do you do for a living? Oh, I wash feet. Uh, you do what? Yeah, I mean, anytime the guest comes, I wash their feet. Homeowners, I wash their feet. I just stand around with my bowl and my pitcher and my towel, and I wash feet. And let me just say something to you. Uh, can you imagine what that was like living in the dusty conditions they did with open, mostly open shoes with some leather kinds of bottoms? And they're just getting filthy. I'm just telling you, by the way, feet are nasty, ain't they? Huh? And so, now they're good. God made them and they have a great purpose. But it's not just really fun to wash them. And, he, and here is Jesus assuming the lowest role in the home um, and taking, the ta- taking off his outer garment and, and putting uh, the towel on and pouring the water in the basin and preparing to do that, by the way, that which nobody else at the table was willing to do. Isn't it interesting that, that customarily somebody's supposed to wash feet, and to figure out who's going to do that, there has to be a hierarchy. Do you all know what I mean when I say a hierarchy? There has to be a ranking. Anybody, y'all tracking with me? In other words, somebody's got to be more important, somebody's got to be a little less important, and whoever is the least important, guess what they get to do? Wash feet. So you you, you got to determine who that is, right? you got to sort of, sort of judge a little bit to see who ranks where. And so in this scenario, nobody had judged themselves under the Lord Jesus. Accurate? Why? Nobody had washed his feet. And so they viewed him as uh, an equal, if you will, by their actions at the table. Y'all, is anybody tracking with me? Now, you said, no, they don't. They, they, they called him Lord. I'm, I'm, I want to say to you again tonight, actions speak louder than words. And by their actions, in this little snippet of life, it shows us that they, in fact, view Jesus as an equal. I wonder, I wonder tonight if you see him the same way. I wonder if you treat him like an equal. I wonder if you treat him like a, an equal among, among, a lesser among equals. By the time you give him, by the authority that you give him, that I give him. This is a question we should wrestle with, right? How do I view Jesus, and, and how do I need to answer that? Well, I need to look at the activity of my life. Uh, for instance, like, y'all know I'm going there, don't you? See, y'all could probably preach this next section, making disciples. And if, in fact, you are not making disciples, you are hearing his command as Lord, but you're treating him as an equal. Matter of fact, I'm going to take it a step further. If you were equal, you would do it some of the time. But by your disobedience to make disciples, you in fact are treating Him as, come on, somebody help me. Lesser. Lesser. Here's what He said, here's what I want to do, here's what He said, but it's uncomfortable and I really don't want to do it. Here's what He said, here's what I want to do, I'm going to weigh him, and I go with, anybody out there? I'm going with me. And so in essence, I have just said, Jesus, you're Lord, but you're really lesser. Now, watch this thing unfold. What's the way to follow? The way, the attitude to follow is this attitude of humility that says, I'm willing to wash the dirty feet of whosoever and to know in Philippians chapter 2 verse 7, is that in your notes there? All right, Philippians 2 verse 7, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Jesus did that. Talk about humility on display when he left heaven and came down, wrapped himself as a little baby in a, in a, in a, in a, in a cattle trough, and then living an, in a, an existence in life that he didn't even have his own home. You know, the one thing that we Americans hang our hat on is to be a homeowner, right? And yet our master, those of us who've been born again, he said, birds of air have nests and foxes have holes, but the son of man has nowhere in which to lay his head. Didn't even own a home. Now, we watch this story. So this wonderful attitude of humility. And by the way, uh, is it, it, let me ask you a question. Do you rather be around somebody who is humble or proud? Uh, for instance, have you ever played sport with somebody who's the best at everything, just ask them? Don't you love that? Isn't that fun to be around? That's that teammate that just all they do is promote themselves and all they do is talk about themselves and all that. And I'm telling you what, it is just about all you can stand, isn't it, to hang around them. So how can somebody living in that vein ever attempt to try to reach somebody for the glory of God if they're always prideful and arrogant, not willing to serve, not willing to park in the back parking lot, not willing to fill the front of the sanctuary first and then let the guests and everybody else come in the back? Boy, y'all like, why'd you have to get all real with us? I like to bring like truth and then bring it right down to, you know, right where we're living. It helps us. It really does. So the attitude to follow is one of humility. Let me move on. Number four, the attitude to surrender. So we have one, we're going to compare two attitudes. One is that we should follow and one is that we should surrender. Now, what does that mean, surrender? It means, to not, if you could picture mentally taking this attitude and handing it over to Jesus. Does that make sense to you? Nod your head. You're riding and nodding at the same time. Look at there. You didn't know you could do two things at once, did you? So one attitude is one that we should follow. What is it? Humility says, here's my life, here's my resources, here's my time. Lord, you tell me where you want me to go. Lord, you spend me how you want to spend me. Help me to treat people with dignity, no matter what they look like or what they do. Help me to love them right where they are, no matter what they're living in. Uh, At the same time, not compromising truth. And so, Lord, help me. So there's an attitude to follow, but then there's an attitude in stark contrast. And this is the attitude that we should surrender. And instead of humility, the one that we should follow, I want you to write in parentheses, or it may be there, is, is pride in the parentheses of your notes? All right, okay. Pride. So let's talk a little bit about it. Verse 6. Where do you see the attitude of pride? Well, then he Jesus came to Simon Peter and he said, uh, and Simon Peter says to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I'm doing to you, you do not understand now, but you will un- after this. And Peter responds back to Jesus. So, so in essence, Jesus is saying, yes, I'm going to wash your feet. Now, you don't understand why, but you're going to. What's he saying? You're going to have to trust me. You're going to have to put your faith in me. You're going to have to put the authority in me. Now, I know you don't want me to wash your feet, or you think that your plan is for me not to wash your feet, but my plan, my way, my, my instruction is that I'm going to wash your feet. And so there's a battle of the wheels going on here. One, the will of God says, I want to wash your feet. I'm going to, I have to make you clean. You can't make yourself clean. Oh, I wish somebody would get that tonight. And Peter, in a prideful response, now somebody said, no, 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 that wasn't Peter being prideful. He's being, he's being kind. Hang on, hang on. Watch what happens. So he says back to Jesus, uh, you're not going to wash my feet, right? Watch, watch as we read along. Peter says back to Jesus. Now, Jesus, in essence, says, yes, I'm going to wash your feet. You're going to understand it later, but I'm about to do it. Peter responds back to Jesus by saying what? If you were to take verse 8, what, what Peter says back, and you were to put it in a one-word answer. Somebody said it back there. No. So imagine, here's the scene. God has humbled himself and come in the form of a man. And he's come with a purpose to help us understand what God is like, to experience what we're like, and ultimately to go to the cross and die. And now, in the midst of this... Painful journey of rejection and ridicule. He's humbled himself to the lowest role of the servant, and he's washing the feet. And one of the ones he's trying to wash his feet says, no, no. And I want you to notice the pride there. Now watch how it goes on. Jesus, in dealing with his pride, says, well, all right, here's the thing about that. If you don't do it my way, if you don't do it my way, if you don't come to me my way, if you don't let me cleanse you my way, guess what? You have no part with me. If, he says, if, if, if I do not wash you, you have no part. It means that you have no union. That means you have no relationship. It means that you and I are not even acquaintances. You're not a part of the family if I don't wash you. And so you see this struggle of the wheels. One says, well, I don't want you to do it. One says, I'm going to do it. I want to do it. And then it, it doesn't, by the way, you know that pride is a very difficult issue to get out of you. You would expect next for Peter to say, okay, Lord, have your way. Your way over my way. Please wash my feet. But he doesn't do that, does he? He gets back into the role of telling Jesus how to do it. Do you notice it? So Jesus says, I'm washing feet. That's what I'm doing. And this is symbolic of your, you being cleansed, and I'm doing it, and I'm the one in control, although I'm humbling myself to the lowest role of the servant. And Peter says, no, you're not. And he says, yes, I am. And he says, okay, well, if you are, then I want you to come on. Y'all track with me. All of it, just wash all of it. Here, let me lay on the top of the table. Just wash me down. Jesus, wash me down. And I love it because uh, sometimes in our life, uh, we mask our pride with kindness. We try to pretend that it's kindness by doing it our way. Yeah. Uh, I'm telling you that pride is such a deceitful thing, isn't it? It'll, it'll mask itself and, and parade itself, and I'm telling you. And you, won't even, you and I won't even recognize it. That's why we need the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God and the church of the living God to help us along the way, right? And so listen, listen to what happens. So he, Simon Peter says back then, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. I can, can't you just see him? He's probably sticking his head out there like, go ahead on, you know? And Jesus says, I'm certain, well, I shouldn't say what I think he thought, but I know if I'd have been that spot, of my bless his heart. He who bathed, he, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but it's completely clean. And then, and then he changes the subject, begins to talk down, deal with Judas. But what I want you to notice here is the attitude to follow is Jesus's, where he humbles himself to the lowest role, honoring others. I want you to notice the attitude that we should surrender is the attitude of what? Pride that says, I'm going to do it my way, all right? L- let me make this statement to you. I'm going to read a verse for you. Is Proverbs 3, 5 and, through 8 in your notes there? So first, the statement, when we follow our ways and lean on our own understanding, we miss the power of following his lead. Let me say that to you again. When we follow our understanding and our ways, all right, I want you to just ponder that, we miss out on the power of following Jesus. Have you figured out yet in this journey called life that it's a very powerful thing when you follow Jesus, when you do it his way, when you're nurtured by his word, when you're surrounded by his church? It's a powerful walk, isn't it? It's a powerful, powerful walk when you walk following Jesus. But have you also found out that when you swap driver's seats, huh, your life can very quickly go void of the power of God. When I say, now, Jesus, here's where we're going. Uh, Boy, I can, ooh, we can turn things upside down in a hurry, can't we? I think back to a good illustration watching my children when they were little. Tina would come in behind them and they'd be like little tornadoes, you know. Just have stuff everywhere. She'd come in that room. She's like a tornado too, man. She'd clean up so fast as they threw it. I'm like, man, how did you do that? And then you see one of them just kind of, you know, when they're barely walking, they just kind of, they're not even really in good control. They're just kind of stumbling back there to their room, and they're back there for one minute and 36 seconds, and you go in there, and it looks like a bomb went off. And, And what an illustration of when we are not following the lead of the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't take long, does it? It doesn't take long at all. I mean, just a few minutes, and we have made a mess of conversations, of relationships, of finances, of life. I'm telling you, we can mess it up. We do a good job of messing it up, don't we? And I'm glad that we can be honest with each other and know that we're in this together. And Jesus knows that about us, and he loves us still. That's amazing to me. So the attitude of surrender is the one of pride. Now listen to what he says in Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Let me pause right now. I'm seeing Peter, aren't you? I think it'd be better if you washed my head, my hand, all of it. Just watch. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Do it his way. Do it his way. And you'll find out marriage, and you'll find out life and finances, and you'll find out this journey down here. Even in broken people in a broken world, you'll find if you do it his way, it's unbelievable the difference in the level of joy and peace and all the wonderful things he brings. He, he goes on to say, don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil, and it will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Even when you don't understand, follow Jesus. Even when it doesn't make sense to you, follow him anyway. Even when it doesn't match the ways of the world and the system that we're in down here, do it anyway. and You'll find out it is, in fact, the pathway to blessing. Our position is follow. All right? Now, question I'm going to ask you before I move on. Do you ever find yourself telling God? Hmm. God, I'm going to. God this, God that, God this. And so we need to be careful and how we deal with him so number five if you will quickly we just have one more after this i told you all eight but i just was getting you set up so that you'd be glad when we get through with number six all right being honest with you all right number five great grace on display quickly great grace on display great grace on display and by the way jesus is using this last supper as a teaching time isn't he uh, now, what he's doing is, remember, he's, he, he did all the foot washing, not just as a symbol of humility, but to help those disciples to see what humility looks like and that, that that visual illustration would settle down in their heart. They would understand that it, here's what it looks like. When the leader, when the highest in the room, scratch that, when the highest on the planet, would scratch that, when the highest bows down with a towel and a bowl to wash nasty feet, uh, That that we shouldn't soon forget it. And so it's a visual illustration, okay? So now this great grace, verse number 11, who all is at the table? For he knew, the end of verse 10 he starts talking about, and you were clean, but not all of you. There's somebody here who's going to betray me. For he knew who would betray him, therefore he said, you are not all clean. Jesus knew who would betray him. Let me say that to you again. When he sent him on up ahead to get the donkey, Jesus knew who would betray him. When they untied and they went on and they did their thing and he came into town, he knew who was gonna betray him. As they continued the journey from town to town, sharing the good news, him healing, casting out demons, he knew all along who was gonna betray him. Did you know before the foundation of the earth, he knew who it was that was gonna betray him? And now here he has an opportunity. Let me just tell you something. If I knew that the guy at the table was gonna betray me in such a way that I was gonna be tortured to death, I would not, let me tell you something about me, I would not wash that sucker's feet. Huh? It's hard enough to wash the feet of people you love. But I'm telling you right now, I'm just looking at you. I just want to look at you and tell you, if I knew beyond the shadow, not, not, if I th- not if I, matter of fact, most of us, if we just suspected, but if I knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that he's going to sell me for a little bit of pocket change and masquerade as my friend and not just have me arrested but have me beaten and then crucified. I'm going to tell you something. His feet ain't getting washed that day. I would you know, what? because, you know, in the end, they say, well, what's, show us who it is. And, and, and Jesus explains. But my way of doing that would have been like, it was the sucker whose feet I didn't wash. <laughs> but not Jesus. Great grace. Great grace. Uh, the one who's going to betray him, he even washed his feet. I want you to hang on to the great grace display of Jesus washing the feet of Judas, and I want you to be mindful today of what Jesus, Judas did with his life. If your notes, in your notes said did I put Luke chapter 22? I'm sorry I keep asking you guys. Is that a lot of times when I make the second outline, I I reduce it down so there's differences. Luke 22, 4 through 6 is there. So Judas, on this particular day, on this day, today, this this part of Holy Week, let's look at Luke 22, 4 through through 6. So he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and the captains how he might betray him, Jesus, to them. And now this phrase struck me this morning early, early, early. This struck me. And they were glad. That's sad, isn't it? Um, when man thinks he's one, when man thinks he doesn't have to bow down to the King of kings and Lord of lords, when, when man doesn't understand that, that he came to love them and save them. And, and that, that, just, that phrase just gripped my heart. Uh, he went to meet with them and figure out how he's going to betray him, and they were glad. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he promised and sought opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. Let me make the statement as I continue here. I believe with all my heart the most painful pain you and I can feel in this life is betrayal. Because betrayal can't happen from a stranger, right? Betrayal can't happen from a, an acquaintance. Betrayal has to be somebody in your inner circle. It has to be your family or your best of friends. Now, my question for you this morning is how many of you have been betrayed before? And how many of you can still, if you think about it for a minute, can still remember the pain that you went through because of that betrayal, maybe still going through it today, and yet Jesus washed his feet, knowing he was going to betray him, and he's selling him out, and he's washing his feet. Let me just cause you to bring your eyes on down just a little bit further, and I want you to put your eyes for a minute on John 12. It's in your notes there, 5 through 6. Isn't it? Yes. Yes. All right, and so here's what it says: Why was this fragrant oil? And this is going back a little bit to the anointing of Jesus, and the statement is made: Why was this fragrant oil not sold for three hundred and given to the poor? You know who's saying this? Judas. Sounds like a lot of Baptist people I know. Anybody out there? Why? Are we, why are we doing that? Why we? Why we? Why did she just pour all that expensive? I mean, we could have sold that and done this and done that. Um, then he this he said not not that he cared for the poor. So Judas. Looks on the outside like somebody's very concerned for those who are less than, who are struggling. And he said, you know what? That's a lot of money, that, that perfume that she just anointed Jesus with. We should have sold that. We could have helped a lot of hungry people. And John said, this is why, this is really the motivation of why Judah said that. Y'all reading with me? Not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a, what kind of thief? Did he steal from people he didn't know? Did he steal from people that, you know, had a whole lot? Well, the scripture says he was a thief and had the and, and see, says because he was a thief, and had the money box. Now what's the money box? Uh, the money box was a box that they would use to collect money and put money in to fund the mission. I've tried my best to drive home to you that the mission costs. Let me say it to you again, I've tried to drive home because we have this weird dealing with money and we get all funny. But I've tried to drive home to you from the beginning of time, the mission costs money. And it's why I believe, listen, it's why Jesus said we can't have two masters. If money is our master, we will not live the mission. If money's our master, we will not fund the mission. Anybody tracking with me? And so here's what he's saying. They they had this money box. And so what, what do you mean? Well, they went town to town. You have to eat. You have to purchase food. You have to sometimes spend a little money on a place to stay. And that's what Jesus was doing. This money was for that. And Judas, claiming to know Jesus and follow Jesus, was taking from Jesus. Stealing money out of the money box. Now, someone said to me one time, do you believe that Judas just had a weak moment? Do you you think he really was a a believer in Jesus? I said, no, by the evidence of his track record, by the fruit of the tree. Now, listen, none of us can ever know for sure about somebody's salvation. You understand that. But the Scripture does say be careful to inspect the fruit of others. So looking at the fruit of his life, we would have to say no. So let me just cause you to think about it, all right? Sometimes people offend us, don't they? Let me ask you a question. Has anybody done anything that offended you, made you mad in the last, let's say, day? Raise your hand. Boy, people snuck their hand up like, bam. Some of y'all did that real. You're going to be slow down. You're going to pull your shoulder out of the socket. Some of y'all snatched that hand up. You're still thinking about what they did, right? And if I bumped it out to two days or a week, I, I, it wouldn't take long for all of, before all of us would raise our hands. But we're talking tonight about the way on display and the way in which we should follow. And we're finding that Jesus was a display of great grace. This one that had been stealing money from him the whole time. And this one who, now what does that look like? It looks like we get into town and we don't have money for Kentucky Fried Chicken. And we need something to eat. And instead, Judas has got it. And Judas is taking care of Judas. And he didn't care about Jesus. And he didn't care about the other disciples who were traveling. It's all about him. And, and, now, and now he's about to, he's, he's, he's bartering for Jesus to sell him, and he's at the table that night, and Jesus washed his feet. I don't know about you, but it amazes me, the great grace of God, not shown to Judas, but shown to me. Because as much right now as you're mad at Judas, and you can't believe Judas did Jesus like that, you and I have done him worse. And we've robbed from him. Anybody still out there? How many of you know that based on what we looked at from the book of Malachi just recently, all of us at one point or another have robbed God in our tithes and offerings. That's what Malachi said. We all have. And so we're looking at Judas and we're all I see y'all getting mad at they ready to go find Judas and whip his tail. And the truth of the matter is that's uh, I mean we we we've man, we can identify more with Judas than we can with Jesus. So we walk the thing on out. Are you ready? Somebody has offended me. Somebody's offended you. They've made us angry. They've hurt. Usually it's they hurt us, and that causes us to be angry, right? And what we do is we put them on our list. Y'all know the list I'm talking about? Now, today I'm going to call that list the list of non-service, okay? We're just going to call it the list of what? Non-service. It means this. Maybe I don't treat them ugly, you know? Maybe I don't, maybe I don't you know, do anything to them. Maybe I don't wish them ill will but I certainly am not going to serve them. And we've put them on a list of non-service. And I want you to think about the comparison between us and him and the great grace that Jesus put on display. And that's the way that we should follow. That's the pattern of the kingdom. That's the transformation that Jesus brings. That's where we're heading. I, listen, I don't know that we're there yet. Come on, somebody. But that's where we're headed. That's what he's doing tonight in us. While we're sitting here and some things, as we think about them, they sting a little bit. And some things, as we think about them, we just sort of like, "Eh, I don't know if I like that. And some things, as we think about what we're hearing, we're just sort of wrestling with. You know what's happening? The Holy Spirit is shaping us like clay on a wheel. And I believe this all my heart, we're going to leave out of here with a little better understanding, a little more empowered to show great grace, to serve those who have hurt us and offended us. Finally, number six. Can you imagine we're there? Yeah, because it's time to go. John 13 and verse number 13, all right? The greatest roadblock to making disciples of all the nations. Would you write that in your blanks there? The greatest roadblock to making disciples of which nations? All the nations. What is the greatest roadblock? Well, let's read verses 13 to 17. Jesus said, you call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. That's, that's exactly who I am. You're right. Uh, he says, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verse 15. Man, you ought to put that thing to memory. Jesus has given us an example that we should do as he's done. Most assuredly, I said, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. Now, let me help you to understand what he's saying here in verse number 16. What is, the, what is that washing of feet? What is that all about? What's the, what's the premise here? Well, some people believe we ought to carry a, 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 a pitcher of water and a basin everywhere we go and do foot washings. And that's not it. Uh, culturally, it's different. Now, I'm not saying if God led you to do that for somebody, that's wrong. I'm not, I'm not telling you that. But I'm telling you that what Jesus, when he sums all this up, he says, what I'm trying to teach you about is that greater than attitudes are not part of following Jesus. What do you mean greater than? Oh, I'm too great to wash your feet. Oh, I'm too great to serve in the nursery. I'm too great to, and we, or I'm too great to love that person where they are because they look different than me. They're wealthy and I don't, I don't you know, or they're, they're not wealthy or they're educated, you know, or, or they're not educated. It's interesting to me that wherever we find ourselves in our small, little perspectives, for some reason we think our small, tiny, little, limited perspectives, we think that it is the greatest perspective known under the sun. Now I want you to think about that for a minute. What's your perspective? You think, and I think we're right about so much, and I'm not talking about scripturally, I'm talking about, you know, life. And your perspective is that you are, how many people are you? One. Among some, how many, you know how many there are? About seven billion on planet Earth? <laughs> Can you imagine the number of zeros is in seven billion? You're one. Uh, how many eras have you lived in, right? If we talk about hundred year blocks, most likely everybody here is less than 100. Anybody over 100 in the room? So one. How many states do you live in right now? One. How many communities do you live in right now? One. How many places do you work right now? One, maybe maybe two. Some of us may have two jobs, three maybe. You see how limited you are? How many cultures have you studied? You think about what you read in the book, you think that equates to being in that culture? You, you're wrong. You're reading someone else's rendition. And it's interesting to me. How humanity feels so secure in our tiny little perspectives. And our tiny little perspectives cause us to see other people as less than we are. And because of that, we're not willing to wash their feet. Serve them grace. Be humble. Doesn't mean we have to agree with them, but love them right where they are. Stand up for the truth and serve it to them in the area of grace. Oh, man, it's amazing, isn't it? I'll say this to you, the greater than attitude is the root of all isms. Think about that for a minute. I think oftentimes about racism, and y'all know I get, that's a hot button issue with me. I will get fired up because we are so ridiculous that somewhere in history, based on the amount of melanin in somebody's skin, we felt greater than. It's absurd. Same hearts, same brains, same lungs, same, I mean, I, the, you know science finally proved that there's one set of parents to all of humanity? It took them a little while. We just read Genesis, right, and, and we just believed it, and it took them a long time. Matter of fact, I think it was in the last five years that they proved that. Bless their hearts. And yet, some of us will look at people differently and, and view them a little less than because they're a little lighter, a little darker than we are. I'm telling you, it is the small-mindedest thing that could ever disease the human heart to feel greater than because of how you look, because of how much money you got in the bank, because of the kind of car you drive or the job you have. To ever feel greater than because you're sober and they're not, to ever feel greater than ever at any point in our life is ridiculous because we're one small speck of dust on one little planet, one little gal. I I want you to think about how small and yet at the same time. How much God loves you. And that ought to promote humility and not pride. It ought to cause me to say, you know what? I'm not the greatest thing that ever happened. And my attitude sometimes needs to be that, that people around me, or always should be, that I need to consider you ahead of me. I need to think about how you're feeling. And how does what's happening make you feel? And how can, how can you and I help one another in the journey? And oh, what a difference that makes. I want to conclude by saying this, all right? Uh, Hebrews 12, 2, all right? So on the, is on the bottom of your notes there, somebody? Yes? Here's what it says. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's our example. How do we, Well, who do we look to? We don't look to Bill or Susie. We look to Jesus. We don't look at each other and say, well, I'm doing better than you, and you're doing better than me. We look to Jesus and say, I've still got a long way to go. Hallelujah. But he's working on me, right? We look back in the rear view mirror to who we used to be, and we say, glory to God, Jesus is some kind of powerful, because I'm not that rascal that I used to be. But I look ahead to the Jesus, and I say, i still got a long way to go, and it keeps me from ever feeling greater than anybody. Jesus, all about Jesus. And finally, as we close our time, and we spend a moment in prayer, John 3.30, which says this, what, what needs to happen in this time of response? Y'all reading John 3.30? Can we read it together? He must increase, but I must what if we pray that in our response time? Will you bow with me? Would you just pray that right now where you're, where you're seated? I'm not, I mean, don't do it just because I said do it, but if tonight you, like me, see that there's some areas of pride in your life, some areas that you view things maybe different than you should, maybe the, maybe the greatest place you and I can start tonight would say, Lord, I need to decrease so that you can increase. And you can't try harder to decrease. You have to come before the Lord and say, Lord, would you help me to decrease? If you're here tonight, you've never invited Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life. It's not too late. It's not too late. Although we are very small in comparison to the grandeur of the heavens and humanity, the billions of people, you are desperately loved by God. And He he desires a one-on-one relationship with you. And he wants it so badly that he made all the preparations for you to be part of his family. He sent Jesus, the Lamb of God, crucified and risen from the dead. And tonight, if you would believe upon him, that he's your only hope, he's your only means of knowing God. And if you'd believe in such a way that as he died on the cross that he rose again, if you'd believe that in such a way that you'd be willing to act on it. You say, what do I need to do? What do I, how do I act on it? You'd be willing to surrender and just say, Lord Jesus, something like this. I give up. I don't want to be in control of my life anymore. Lord Jesus, would you come? Matter of fact, somebody tonight's probably saying, I've never been in control. I'm so out of control. And Jesus, I need you to come. Would you come? Be the Lord of my life. And the good news of the gospel is that he will. He said, no one who ever calls on my name will be put to shame. That is such good news tonight. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, I just invite you to respond however the Holy Ghost leads you. We're going to have a time of response for a few moments, and so I encourage you, don't, don't linger. If the Spirit of God is drawing in your heart, I pray you'd respond. So Father, I pray your kingdom come and your will would be done. I pray, God, that you're doing a good work in my heart, a good work of grace in my heart, in the hearts of all of these gathered here, that, Lord, we would be followers of Jesus and that we would be doing what you've called us to do, not just agreeing with it. Make us servers of grace. And may people be drawn to you because of it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.